1: Sorry for the for the short time on um, notification. I just was suddenly in the mood to do a podcast, and I asked Jilly if she want to talk about creativity, and she said yes. So here we are. Um, it uh, I wanted to say that we have oh fuck me, I already forgot. I have the worst memory in the history of the planet. Okay, um, we have nine days of Sonnet left on Rough Trade, and we have um 48 participants so far with 96 projects because each participant has two projects so um we're hitting a lot of interesting fandoms. so there's some new stuff there's some anime uh we have a magnificent seven um set of stories coming um and it's just some hold on let me get over there okay we've got Harry Potter and Criminal Minds of course and Stargate um Lots of MCU stuff, and we got a Deep Space Nine story coming. It's really interesting. we I don't think I've ever actually had a Deep Space Nine story on Rough Trade. If I had, I don't really remember it. Um, uh, some Buffy stuff, uh, but lots of Harry Potter and MCU, and um, I think some uh, there's some Anna Green Gables coming. That's pretty interesting um, and different, something new, um, and some anime stuff, Gundam, Gundam Wing and... Um, some others that I can't pronounce. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we're going to have some fun with it, and it should be really interesting. And um, uh, hopefully, uh, and Lady Holder is going to be doing King Arthur, uh, which she's done King Arthur before um, in the past on Rough Trade, So that won't be a um, a new fandom for her or this challenge, but it will be just um, interesting overall. So uh, we've got some Dragon Age. Dragon Age Inquisition. Um I don't actually read any of the anime fandoms, so I don't know um how popular they are or even honestly what they are. Uh so uh, <clears throat> uh it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting. I'm going to get Jillie on the line here. Um find her. Yeah, that's her. Okay. I uh recently um I bought these um these these uh these cheese and prosciutto ham uh, roll-ups at the store, and I am addicted. I'm, like, bragging. It is oh, not good. It is not good. It's not good because they're, um well, they're pretty high in fat, but they're really low in carbs, and I'm on a low-carb diet, right? And prosciutto is, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, like, the sexiest meat ever. <laughs> it is just really good. I was, like, I don't even you know what to do with myself. And it's getting this really soft Swiss cheese. Holy shit.
0: (laughs) On the list of sexy
1: meats that I can't spell, it's right at the top. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because I have a hard time spelling it. I'm surprised I'm even saying it in such a way that it's recognizable. So you're saying it all kinds of right. Um, I have the chat room. I have the chat. I'm kind of like stuck in bed right now um, but I have the chat room up on my tablet so I'm reading the chat room but I will not be trying to type on my tablet that's just insanity <laughs> that's crazy cake <laughs> yeah so I won't be responding to anything in the chat room um, but you know I am reading it sort of <laughs> it's in my face but <laughs> I'm sure I'll pay as much attention to it as I usually do for was actually very expensive, but at Kroger, and I, there's another Kroger type, but it's a different store, but the same store on the West Coast, what's it called, Lady Holder? Because um, she goes to a store that's owned by Kroger. They're, um, fries, fries. If you have a Fries or a Kroger, it's private selection. Don't get the Boar's Head, because the Boar's Head is twice as cheap and um, expensive, and you only get half. Like, um the Boris Head was like five prosciutto and Swiss rolls for five ninety nine. I got ten for five fifty nine on when I went to the store brand. And they look just as good. And I assume they taste just as good because it tasted amazing. <laughs> so Willow's saying Fred Meyer fries got Albertson maybe. Kroger, just just check your store brands and and, ch- and try it out. It's awesome. It's very high in fat, though. Um, um, it's a private selection brand, so. Um, but yeah, it's it's very high in fat because uh, prosciutto is a very fatty ham, but it is delicious. And I can have fat. I can't have all the fat I want, but I can have more fat than I can in cr- um, carbs. That's <laughs> pretty. It's very lovely. I make this prosciutto wrap chicken, um, in a little white okay, wine sauce. The, mm, the people who own Kroger own, Callaway Foods, City Markets, the Foods Co, Fred Meyer's, Fries, King Supers, Mariano's Fresh Markets, Metro Market, Pick and Save, Quality Food Centers, Ralph's, Food for Less, and Smith's Food and Drug. So um, look for the Private Selection brand in those stores, and um, you'll get a better deal, and it's really awesome. Speaking of Private Selection, they also have, and this is not low in carbs, they have these Ultimate Fudge Brownies. Holy shit. (laughs) I can't even. I'm like, what? (laughs) It is unreal. Unreal. Very good. Of course I could only eat like half of one of those a week. Like <laughs> I can't eat half of one of those brownies. Yeah, yeah for like, a week. Where are you sticking that many carbs? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, like, okay, so a half a brownie would be twenty two carbs. Um, of which nineteen of them are sugars. I'm only allowed fifty one sugars a day. So if I if, if I hit one of those, um half of one of those I have to like I have to exist on meat and cheese the rest of the day (laughs) (laughs) but it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it to add to your food budget sometimes you go completely off sugar just a little bit of sugar can be really satisfying yeah yeah and it's like Almost, you know, honestly, I'm not sure I could eat a whole one. Because um, even a half of one is, like, I mean, it is so fudgy. This brownie is so fudgy. It might as well be fudge. Pre-made, or is it their just their box brand? It's their bakery brand, their private selection. I don't even oh, know. Oh, so it's their bakery brand. Okay, so the ones they make yeah. in store. Okay, right. I have never seen a commercial brownie with that much chocolate in it. It's not too sweet, but it is deeply chocolate. It is very rich. It's um, it's just an insane amount of chocolate. Yeah, too much. Um, when you get that intense, there's a company here, the restaurant here that makes this chocolate torte that, I mean, I, I love chocolate and I like sugar. And I could have about two bites of this. It is so intensely chocolate that it's like two bites and I go, okay. And it's a fair, and most things like this chocolate you'd think they'd be small. It's huge and so it's like 15 servings i swear <laughs> oh my god
0: i love chocolate i, I can't even find it on their a little-
1: website it was just amazing i find tea to be a little bit tame for something that is that deeply chocolatey No, they're not. Ice. I, I, yeah, no, not that one. It's a different brand. Um, it's a different version. Um, it's it's not an iced version. If it was iced, I would probably be able to eat like a tablespoon of one. It would be like no, <laughs> it would be ridiculous. But. Um, They're fantastic, so I highly recommend them. I should—I think Kroger has a very good bakery section. They have really nice breads. Um, they have a—they have a rosemary and olive oil bread. Make you want to slap somebody—it's so good. And I'm a big fan of car. I—I'm a carboholic. I love bread. It's my favorite thing. But I'm being good, Oops. and my blood sugar right now is one of those. I'm, I don't miss bread because I don't take. I haven't taken bread out of my diet. I am monitoring how much bread I have, and I am monitoring my carbs, um, just because it's just good stuff. Oh, gluten free hurts my feelings, girl. I can't even. I'm so sorry. Um, but we're going to talk about creativity and um, fostering creativity amongst um, your writer friends and um, beta and alpha and writing challenges and like rough trade and just we're just gonna talk about that tonight so um everyone got the food topic before i make everybody go get snacks and leave the chat room (laughs) no there's like four in a box and um they're cut already put them they're pre-cut and um On the website, I already looked for Kroger, Uh, but uh, it was stunning, an amazing find. I highly recommend it if you go over there and go over to the deli. Um, But uh, if you have impulse control problems, don't buy them because (laughs) 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 Because one of those is like like 47 grams of sugar, one. And no one needs that much sugar in a single setting, whether you're diabetic or not. That's just a huge amount of sugar. So um, so be safe. Be careful. Take care of you. You know, I found out that this fruit bowl I get was getting at this, this place that I loved, um, I still love, but, I mean, it's basically all fresh fruits and it has a little bit of sorbet and stuff in it. It's 200 grams of mm-hmm. sugar carbs yeah 100 grams i about stroked out <laughs> it's like nobody needs to be having that many carbs in this one sitting well fruit is a is a is a great complex carb um but it is still a carb i mean and fruit is better than a candy bar if, if, if you're going to have a sweet pick an apple over a snickers Okay, but acknowledge that an, an apple has a certain amount of carbs and a certain amount of sugars depending on how big the apple is and what kind it is. Um, and that's very important. Grapes are terrible. I mean, I love grapes, but they are terrible.
0: They're you can terrible get as so much sugar in
1: like 10 grapes as you would a whole apple. And who can eat just 10 grapes? Well, they're not very good. (laughs) Right, but why would you buy not very good grapes? (laughs) No, 10 actual grapes, not 10 ounces. (laughs) 10 actual grapes. (laughs) That's how it's like it's a ridiculous amount of sugar. There's a reason why grapes are used to make wine. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. So, fostering creativity, you know, the funny thing about fostering creativity is that. I think that it kind of like if if you start it at like figuring out how to do it for yourself, it sort of it's easier to help do it with other people. And I think sometimes we're not very good at figuring out how to do it for ourselves. Um like we don't easily identify the things that get in the way of our creativity. You know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. I think I don't know, maybe we just don't look at it or Like I know, like my writing, I tend to write dramatically less when my parents are around. um, If I'm writing at all, it sometimes I'll do some, but it's not. It 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 dwindles from writing almost every day to writing maybe once every two weeks. Um, Wow. Do you think it's um, the stress? I mean, do they stress you out? Or well, I think part of it is that. Um, there, when I if I try to write, and in, in when I'm not like in my room, um, that it, it's a few things. One, they interrupt me a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm. Um, and the constant interruptions, it's like I'm trying to write, and it's like not um, something that the people leave alone. Um, and the other thing is, I don't like people looking over my shoulder. It's not because I'm ashamed of what I'm writing, but I just because that's that's not like to do with it. It 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 even if even when I'm working on stuff, even when I'm working on stuff for work, I don't like people looking over my shoulder as I'm writing. Even if I'm just writing an email, I just don't like it. Um, I've never liked it. It feels creepy to have somebody like literally, and um my parents tend to, and I can get them to stop that, you know. But it seems it comes up quite a bit. Is I'll find somebody reading over my shoulder, and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Can I help you? Um, And I think that it's just just kind of (laughs) yeah. I think it's just a little bit of like I just kind of like there's this thing just kind of like sort of shutting down. But there's also the whole, you know, ongoing fight with my family about the validity of you know fan fiction. So there's, if I'm writing, there's the question will inevitably come up, what are you working on? And then if I say oh, I'm working on a story about this, they'll be like, well, is that original or fan fiction? Well, why does that matter? So the next time it comes up, don't, don't tell them the content. Say, I'm doing something that makes me happy. And then try to watch them invalidate your happiness and see how that works out for them. <laughs> I'm serious I am I mean I know it's funny to think about it but it's a serious thing because what they are doing is that they're telling you that something that makes you happy is invalid and that's ugly ass behavior and it needs to be addressed yeah that's true and it's it's true I don't need my parents to read my porn but I actually write very little porn overall but the percentage of my writing that's porn is is tiny yeah, Do you know most of my stories right? have sex in them. <laughs> I mean, most of my stories have sex in them, but sometimes there's long stories that have one sex scene. I mean, I have one story that has like one 700 word sex scene in it, and it's 60,000 words. So that's not a high porn percentage, you know? So it's not like I'm worried. And, and, and I don't tend to write porn for people even in the room. So, um,. It's honestly none of your, it's it's honestly none of their business. Um, yeah, the, the creative think. process is an individual process, and when you're ready to share it with somebody, you're ready to share it. And if you're not ready to share it, they don't have the right to intrude on you. It it becomes an act of consent. You're not consenting to share what you're doing with this person, whatever this part, whatever, whatever you're doing. And so they are intruding on your personal space and violating your intellectual space. And they're doing so in a way that is in it's, it can be deeply uncomfortable. Like I had a woman do that to me in the um, cafe once she was, she was sitting close to me in a, a different table, obviously. Um, because no one's invited to sit at my table. I have a two-person table that I sit at, and no one sits with me. It, it, it's a thing. My own mother does. She sits at <laughs> the table next to me. <laughs> yes, my table. No, no one sits at my table. It's it, it's a thing, right? So um, and everybody knows that. And this lady was sitting in this place my mother normally sits in, and my mother does not read my computer screen. Number one, she have to get out her her um, TV readers. <laughs> <laughs> her TV glasses to be able to read my computer screen, <laughs> and I would notice. And um, so this lady is reading. Over, she's reading my screen, and I, I noticed this. And instead of calling her out on it, I just started typing a letter to her. I just I spaced down to a new page, and I said, "Dear lady, who's currently reading my computer, sitting next to me in this fucking cafe." She would, <sighs> and I turned and looked at her. <laughs> And she got up and moved. Her getting I made is. proof that she was reading it. <laughs> what? Right? So then I made I made one of my other writer friends, I said, You need to get your ass over here and sit at this table. And he was like, I'm comfortable with it. I don't give a shit. You need to come sit here, or the next person who sits here and reads my stuff, I'm going to be in a brawl. And so he moved all this shit over. But, you know, they're not <laughs> as rigid as I am about where I sit. But she was in my space. This is my space. The table might as well have my. Name on it. I have walked into that place, and there have been other people sitting at it that know that recognize me, even if they don't know me. They apologize to me and moved <laughs> for being at my table. My my OCD is well known in my area. For those who are aware of me or who are in the spaces that I share, even the people at the grocery store don't offer to try to bag of my groceries because they know it'll freak me out. Even at Publix, who has the most dedicated backing staff I've ever known, will know better than to try to bag my groceries. I will Tetris my own food, thank you very much. Now they stand there and look at me like I'm hurting their feelings, but I don't care. Well, then you the idiots shouldn't have a practice of putting eggs and milk, I mean, eggs and bread on the bottom of the bag. Right, right. Why is my bread three inches shorter than it should be? Because some asshole puts your milk on top of it. It just, it just. Mm. So I have issues and they're well known in my area in the places that I visit often to the point where I can walk into some places. And by the time I actually get to the counter, the girls already put my drink on the counter for me. (laughs) This is what I drink. I I, 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 (laughs) I I was just, I was just, getting my groceries bagged at this one place and they told me that this guy did a really great job of it he said he's a great bagger I don't know what they mean by great if they mean he manages to pack a lot of shit in the bag which I think is what they mean but he put yeah, like, all of is. the canned all the canned stuff all of it in one bag so I had one bag that weighed like two pounds and one bag that weighed like 30 Like, no, that's wow. not how you do that no But even if it was how somebody does it, that's not how I do it. And it doesn't matter how anybody else likes their shit packed. This is how I like my shit packed. Well, it's like people putting produce in with raw meat. Are you kidding me? Uh, Where did you <laughs> learn the bag? I have two. I bring my own bags, number one. And I have two bags that are specifically for. One's for raw meat. Um, and I have one that's just for chicken. You can only put chicken in this bag. And then I have one for pork and beef. But I separate out my chicken. Because sometimes the chicken packages leak. I have issues.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Well, it's just thinking chicken is a big deal. And I have insulated bags for cold stuff. And I have an insulated bag for hot stuff. And then I have regular bags. And then I have a bag that's just for my bread. Because it'll fit three loaves of bread in, standing straight up, so there won't be any... Cri- I have, I just have things, okay. I like things to be done a certain way, and um, they do be done a yeah, certain way. But, like totally not the topic, but I got, I don't even know how I got off on this topic. It doesn't matter. But oh, so, the reading know, over the shoulder. So anyway, reading over the shoulder. But you know, it, I have this funny thing. Is like you learn when people kind of when people aren't respecting your boundaries, is figure out a way to you know, and you can do it nice. It's just your family. You have to, you, you have to kind of have a a certain level of civility in the boundary policing. But like um, you don't. It's like people will come in, they'll say it and ask me, and this is this is a common theme in during the holidays. My my family's other thing is they say, "Are you busy?" And I'll say, "I'm writing," and they'll say, "Oh, good. Can you check into da 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 da?" Meaning, apparently, in their mind. So the implicit thing here is that when I say I'm writing, they interpret that to mean that I'm not busy. So you're wasting your time. Right. So what I have to do is change the response to "Are you busy?" to just "Yes." <laughs> Yes, there's no further explanation needed, just yes, I'm busy. Because it's like, I don't know, in my mind, I think if I say to people, if they say, are you busy, and I say I'm writing, that I am letting them know that I'm doing something that's very important and shouldn't be interrupted. But that's not what they're hearing. What they're hearing is, no, I'm not busy. (laughs) And once I figured that out, you know, and it was it was it was painful figuring that out because I'm like, how come nobody's getting my intent behind I'm writing? Um. And now I should just say it differently. Busy? Yes, I'm busy. But it's still difficult. It's I would difficult. say uh, I'm yes, and yes, and thank you for asking. And then go back to what you're doing. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's a dismissive. Thank you for asking. <laughs> but it can be difficult, especially it's very difficult for me to um, – so to, I also do a lot of more um, – a lot, lot more like plotting and story planning and stuff. Because um, I do try mm-hmm. to find if I'm not actually feeling like I can really sit down and dig into actual writing, I do try to do other stuff. Um it just it just kind of depends. I mean, Like right now, being stuck in bed, I'm not doing a lot of writing, but I am doing a lot of plotting and timelining and stuff like that, because um, which is all part of the writing process, part of being creative. But sometimes I'm just kind of like itching to, you know, get my fingers moving. Right. Um, I, I envy people who are creative who can really write longhand. Um, I just find that. You know, I got my first computer when I was 12, and I learned to type, touch type when I was 12, and I have been doing most of my writing with both my hands in motion most of my life. So, um, I just find that longhand, I take notes. I don't actually like. It's rare that I actually write. Um, I can't. the thing is, is I tend to write faster in my head than I type. I most definitely, definitely write faster in my head than I could actually write. It's a very frustrating experience. Yes, especially I type faster than I write longhand. So I do find I tend to get, have very abbreviated scenes when I write longhand, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because fleshing out scenes is not a problem, Um like just writing the dialogue and the action kind of like more almost kind of script format and then flesh that out later. I mean, I think I sometimes I felt like I just need to accept that that is an okay thing to do because it's getting the idea out of my head. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's not my usual process, but sometimes you've got to figure out how to change your process to let yourself to continue to be creative when circumstances are kind of working against you, where you don't have access to a computer or where, um, you know, it's difficult to type for some reason. Um, I mean, at one point, I got thumb tendinitis in both thumbs at the same time. <laughs> so, wow, that's lucky. I had these. I had these special splints on both hands where my fingers were completely free, but my thumbs are immobilized, right? It's remarkably hard to type without your thumbs. (laughs) I kind of got used to it because what you have to do is kind of angle your whole hand to hit the space bar. So it's like type a word and then angle your hand to tap down the space bar. Um, So, but it, it was it was strange. Um, but I kind of figured out how to do it a little bit. And I, I, for a while, I was writing, gripping using a pen, gripping my pen between, um, my first two knuckles, <laughs> and making story notes and stuff because I couldn't use my thumbs. <laughs> It was very strange, but sometimes circumstances or injury or whatever you know conspires against you, and you know it's like how do you continue to foster that creative part of yourself when things are things aren't aren't cooperative when life isn't cooperative. Whether you know, cause there's different ways to satisfy that creative part of yourself and be engaged in the writing process without actually putting words on the screen. Whether that's doing your research and reading, um, reading, making timelines, bookmarking stuff to come back to later. I mean, there's stuff you can do to keep staying engaged with that creative part of your brain, feeding it and exercising it, even if you're stymied in some other fashion. And there have been times when it was just I'm talking a to other people. i technology before I have to have a computer or I have a little portable keyboard, a foldable one that I use that I can type on my phone or my Kindle mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I bought off Amazon. Um I just can't not write. <laughs> I do I do, um when I when I need to um, um I mean, I've got key- keyboards that I can use with my tablet. But I actually remarkably difficult to do when you're in bed um, when you have to be laid right. down. So that wasn't really working. Um, but I have, you know, I, I actually have always done plotting. I plot better on paper than I do on the computer. I don't know what that is. There is a little bit of a dis- disconnect there. That that, yeah, I, I plot on paper and um, I write on a computer. It's just the way my brain is. Um, so, you know, but I accommodate because I've, I've, I'm I no no stranger to injuries and being stuck in bed. So I have my, you know, um, pressurized pens that allowed me to write in any any angle, so that I you know I can lay in bed and make notes, and not have to worry about my pens not working. Um, yeah, you, know, you just find you just find ways to get around because I consider all that research and to be part of the writing process, right? So as long as you're engaged in that, I at least feel like that that part of my brain is not I'm not cutting myself off. So it's difficult at times when I really want to be writing and like life is not cooperating with me and, you know, I can't get the time or you can't get the space or you can't get the privacy or you can't get the quiet, whatever it is, it just can be very difficult. And, um, you know, I can put on music to block out noise, but the only issue with that is if I'm not in a situation or an environment where I'm comfortable, I don't want to block out the noise. So... So it's just, just, and I know a lot of people have this issue of life is in the way of being creative, and it's like, well, how do you get around the things that are in your way? How do you nourish and feed that part of you um, when 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 things are when life isn't cooperative? And there's there's sometimes that is just staying in, in part of a writing group and helping other people. Sometimes you know being Somebody else's sounding board um, is a way to nourish your own creativity because it keeps that creative part of your brain going when you don't when you can't do it in your own environment in your own space.
0: Okay, yeah, I wrote, so I, wrote I have this.
1: Oh. Go ahead. I have this thing where. There's,
0: I, oh my God,
1: I, I hate stupid people. I hate them. I, I, we need a new planet. (laughs) We do. We need a new planet. It's, um, one of my friends on Facebook posted this article about, um, Muslim, um, camps in China and how China is, um, uh, ...gathering up Muslims and uh, creating re-education camps. And the article featured a uh, foreign national who ended up in one of these camps. And all the commenters are talking about how, well, people should just, Muslims shouldn't travel to China. Like, they're totally ignoring the part where a great many of the people in these fucking camps are actually Chinese citizens. They were born in China. Islam has existed in China, which I just put on this comment because I couldn't help myself. I got distracted by a notification of a comment. Um, since 651 D. I'm just. <laughs> I'm going to have to get Facebook off my computer. <laughs> Close it. I, just, oh, I can't fucking stand stupid people. The, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook has been. There's been some epic stupid coming across Facebook lately. It's just like, <sighs> where is this coming from? And from people that I think are, you know, I like to think that the people that I'm friends with, you know, I, I always want to think they're of above. And so every once in a while, they blindside right. me with like, "What is the matter with you?" They're stupid and unfriend. This is this is my friend's friend who's being a a, a pig, who um who said it was a shame that China just couldn't line these Muslims up and shoot them I'm not kidding oh my and God. so when I got the notification out of the corner of my eye that there was a comment to this thread I clicked on it because that's a habit right mm. I got so instantly outraged that my scalp started to tingle yeah that's horrifying But the, the, but the main horrifying. thread about it is the, 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 the idea that they don't understand that China is actually imprisoning their own citizens. That there are Muslims born in China and have been in China since the 600s. Not the 1600s, the 600s. It's not new. Anyways, I just... I. I I really hate stupid people. So I turned Facebook off. So I want uh, I want to look at it again during the podcast. I don't even know why I still had it up. <laughs> <laughs> Too many tabs. Sometimes notifications center. are the devil. Right. Right. Facebook tried to tell me that I can have desktop notifications. I'm like, nope.
0: <laughs> That's no. the
1: last thing I need. That is the last thing I need, Facebook. Thank you. So, yeah, we need a new planet. Yeah, we do. And you have to take an IQ test and a common knowledge test that you have to pass um, to get on the shuttle to leave with us. (laughs) And if you think the Earth is flat, you're staying here. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. We'll make allowances for people who can't take the IQ test for physical and mental disabilities. But the actual people who walk around every day who think they're normal, they're going to have to take an IQ test. Or at least a basic logic and reasoning test. You know, I have—I right? don't remember. I had made a comment about something related to some an idea or something, and somebody immediately responded with, it was something along the lines of oh these you must have read these stories this person these two these people have explored that idea and i said you do realize that basic logic isn't an idea right (laughs) this is a logical conclusion (laughs) drawing a logical conclusion is not original story craft it is just a logical conclusion For instance, actually, it was. I think, as I recall, what this was about was the idea that Captain America isn't actually literally a captain, that that's not plausible. You can't actually field promote somebody that high, assuming he was actually still in the Army. Um, and there was this assumption that I had pulled this from some story. I'm like, you realize logic isn't original story craft. Um, because, I mean, it's... That's what we need. We need basic logic. I mean, I, I actually don't care what your IQ points are as long as you're capable of following things to to some kind of a logical conclusion. But I, I don't think people actually understand logic anymore. I, I mean, did we did we stop taking logic classes? I mean, I, I guess that was taken out of schools as part of frivolous curriculum or something. I don't know. The only reason that my sister's kids can read... Uh, a clock that isn't digital is because she taught them at home. That's just crazy. Just saying. My sister's kids are also learning cursive writing at home. My my mom's teaching them because it's not taught in school anymore. I mean, I've, I've heard so much about the argument about, you know, both pro and con against cursive writing in school. And I get the whole thing that, with such limited resources that they don't have, and, and all of the, and, and the standardized testing requirements and stuff, that teaching cursive is like not a high priority. And I get the logic behind what they're saying, but there have been multiple studies that show that, edu- that, that from a development of the brain perspective and, and developing reasoning skills and stuff, that learning to write cursive, that there's actually something to how that affects the brain in a positive way. Um, and that it isn't a skill that we should be dropping. But, so, I mean, if I had kids, um, they would be learning cursive. That's just the way. It wouldn't become this archaic skill. The thing is, though, is that when we're at all folks' home, we're going to use cursive writing to hide our communications when we take it over. Yeah, it'll be, the, it'll be like code, uncrackable code. Because they won't know what the fuck you're talking about. That looks like kind of like English, but I can't really make it out. Well, my one niece was outraged that she wasn't going to get to learn cursive because it was, like, um, something that she's always wanted to do. And so when it came up in school and and she asked the teacher and she was told that she wasn't going to be taught cursive in school, she was furious. She comes home and tells her mother and my mother. And then she called me and told me. Because sometimes she's seen me writing in my various notebooks. And I tend to write in a mixture of cursive and print (laughs) just when I'm, you know, being... When I'm plotting and stuff, yeah, as the time too. comes out, um, but and she asked me about the cursive writing, and I told her that I learned it in school, and she was really looking forward to it. So my mom had to go out and buy notebooks, and then the other two realized that they weren't going to be taught either, and so now they're, um, um the girls are, are especially interested in learning to write cursive because they think it's what you know adult ladies do. that's <laughs> just what they think because we all do it, y'all, you know. And so they're just, you know, so, and the boys are doing it because their mom thinks they should know. So, but the boys aren't particularly interested in learning, but they're not being given a choice. But yeah, my oldest nephew was taught cursive. Um, He's a senior this year, um, but, or next year, he'll be a senior. Um, But my younger um, nephew, who is um, the middle nephew, is 12, 13, and he wasn't taught. But the girls were that's furious. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. I mean, I guess if they don't want to learn it, that's one thing. But I just I just think that, you know, it's, I know there's some mentality. It's like hanging on to the past. If you think that we should still be learning, it's like, well, no, no. It's about, I don't know, working your brain and stuff. Yeah, and it does work your brain differently. It's just like you, 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 we learn things differently that we hear versus things that we just see and think about. Which is, you know, there's been there, you know, a whole idea of like there's been. Um, I think they pitched me the idea that you know everybody should just be able to learn at home by themselves. I was like, um, hmm, you know, like just read their curriculum on a screen and do their homework. That kind because of thing- not not everybody learns better that way. Um no not I multiple multiple don't that, um reading on my own. But I knew a lot of students who, who didn't uh, who needed that auditory interaction with their teacher to learn. I absorb. So I, I learn better what I read for myself, um, but especially things that I take notes on. Um, if I just read something without taking any notes, I don't absorb it as well as if I just, even just catching the highlights. There's something about actually physically writing it out that processes it differently into the brain, um, and I'll, I'll I'll work I'll remember it better. But it, while I'm doing that, the things I'm hearing there's like memory triggers. It all becomes very intertwined in the brain. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just taking notes about things I'm reading and hearing. It's just a much, it's just a much better way for me to learn personally, but there's also something about dynamic discussion that people are trying to kind of take out. And I learned more from discussion with people where we're discussing something and asking questions and, you know, challenging the ideas that are being presented that is, like, to me, the most dynamic way to learn. Um, But, you know, people, it's just, it's... it's, I think people can, like, cut themselves off to cut themselves off at the knees um, trying to do trying to make something easier or trying to get something done or trying to be productive or trying to streamline things and then sometimes things don't need to be streamlined. Sometimes things don't need to be um, what what seems like optimally productive sometimes isn't. It's sort of like and I know I'm mean, there's some people that are gonna hear this and they're gonna be like thinking I'm dissing them personally and it's not this isn't even a diss. But You know, I don't know many people I I know. It comes up over and over and over again, people who are determined that they are not going to write anything else until they finish this one thing. Um, That they're going to get a project finished where they start something new or whatever. And that's a fine sentiment. I have no problem with the sentiment. But I know so many people, so many writers who get into that mindset, and then six months later, a year later, two years later, they've written nothing. And they're sticking to their determination to not work on anything until they finish the thing, the thing, whatever the thing is. And the longer they go without finishing the thing and making any progress on it or writing anything at all, the more stumped it is, the bigger the thing feels like. And I just find that so counter. I'd rather have 3,000 whips and never finish anything than stop writing trying to finish one thing. Right? I do have 100-plus Works in progress, but I'm all and I, I. also think that I happen to be very prolific in what I actually published. My website, it's actually yeah. 129. I, I I missed a folder. <laughs> I had to update my counts and my um yeah yeah it was a thing I missed a folder. Um, I would guess mm. that my web count's about half half yours. Um, I don't hesitate. Yeah. I never hesitate to open a file and start something. I never hesitate on that. Um, there are times when I need, I just go, okay, I need to finish this. And I do buckle down and finish something because I go, like, this needs to be finished. And sometimes what's holding me up is something really trivial. Um, and if it's something that is a controllable factor, okay, I will say I have to buckle down and finish this. And controllable factors are things like there's just some scenes I'm kind of not interested in writing, but they need to be written. Um, there, I need to write the falling action. Like a story's done, but I need to write the falling action, which sometimes can be um, – sometimes, I, like a lot of writers, I, I'm i I'm not different from any other writer where I kind of fizzle out sometimes um, after the climax of a story. Um, sometimes writing the falling action is kind of like – it's not as exciting as writing to the climax. And so it's easy to fizzle with the climax of the story. And so there you know, sometimes I just have to go, okay, I need to write this following action and move on. Um, so when it comes to things like editing, you know, second doing second draft, finishing up the data process, all of those things that are considered what I consider the the controllable stuff, I just go sometimes I just say, I need to buckle down and finish this stuff. And that is a kind of dig in and get it done, even if I'd rather be doing something else. But then there's the stuff that is like the uncontrollable, which is I'm stumped and I don't know why. You know, I'm not even at the climax of a story, but I'm stuck. And those are the things where if I, I'm not going to stay stumped on something to the point that it affects my ability to write, I'm going to move on. Um, I just, I just, just, I would it's hurting my, hurting me. I mean, unless I'm under contract with to to produce a book or turn back in the advance check. I mean, unless there's a contract involved, I'm just not going to stop writing, um, because I decided that I'm not doing anything until I finish the story. That's just to me, that's crazy cakes. Um, so. But I mean, I know multiple. I mean, I see people posting on Facebook about it on a regular basis about how they decided they weren't going to do anything else, so they finished this thing, and that they haven't done anything in three months, six months, nine months, it's been a year, whatever. And it's like, stop. I want to go. Stop hurting yourself. And that's what I feel like they're doing. I feel like they're hurting their 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 own creativity when they stall out trying to finish one thing. I, I think that I used to, um, when I was younger, I would hide how many works in progress I had. I I, I wouldn't actually admit to the, the actual number because um, in a lot of ways, you, you look at a big number like that, because I have 2 million works in progress. Uh, I mean, 2 million words in progress, 2,067,000 something words in progress. Um, and um, <clears throat> you think, okay, well that's kind of like a failure, right? But it, to me, it, it's it's not a failure. It's, um it's my process i i i stopped putting unwarranted value on the word the end getting to the end is is great but it's not more important than the journey that you take to get there yeah. And if you get stalled out, if you get stumped, set it aside. You have give yourself permission to explore your own craft. Or if you need it, take my permission to explore your own craft. You don't have to stick yourself on a single work in progress for a year. If you're stuck, and this is actually one of the reasons why it's not a good idea to, to post a work in progress in public, um, because if no one's seen it, because no one but Lady Holder has seen the vast majority of my works in progress, so there's no one, you know, bitching on me about it. And the stuff that I put on EAD is, um, it is what it is, you know, and, uh, it will eventually probably be completed, and that's, um, it's um it's me it's it's, it's my stuff and I'm going to do me and I don't have to make anybody else happy on that front but myself. That's right. Cuz it's your process, it's your creativity and you've always said you write for you. And the truth of that is in that you have um that you have all this stuff that you're willing to explore all these ideas that nobody's ever seen and a lot of it nobody ever will see because it's for you. Right. It's for me. And I think that's important for you to to um for me specific, specifically to say, okay, I'm I'm going to I'm going to explore this idea and I have ideas that are I mean, I have projects that easily have 100k written on them that no one has seen um because it's not something that I'm sure I want to share. And that's your choice and it is a valid choice. Writing something Even finishing something, you're under no obligation to share it. Whether it's fan fiction or even original fiction, you're not obligated to share your intellectual property with anybody. Publish online and get feedback and, you know, and all that stuff. But it isn't necessary to my creative process to publish my work. Which is why if you're creative and you have stories in your mind and you are prohibiting yourself from working on them because you haven't finished the thing that you're blocked on, you're you're cutting yourself off at the knees. I mean, you are, you are hurting yourself. I mean, I actually think you're more likely to come back and finish that thing if you let your brain go to do something else for a while. Because sometimes we're blocked on something because we're too in it. Two in it, we need some distance. Um, I mean, I honestly probably have more words in process than I have finished online. Um, I would say my works in progress quite a bit outstrip what's actually published, and I'm close to a million words published. So, um, but I don't, I've never even thought about that being an issue. Um, I never think about – I never think anything about – I mean, there's so much stuff that I wouldn't even – there's stuff I went looking for something one day, and I couldn't find it because I couldn't remember what weirdo working title I gave it. Because if a title doesn't present itself when I imi- initially open the file, I will give weird working titles. And <laughs> sometimes my weird working titles don't carry through in any kind of meaningful way. Um like it'll be like something, a working title, like weird thing I thought about on Tuesday. Well, believe me, when I'm <laughs> going back a year later and looking for the story where, you know, Tony comes online in Somalia, the weird thing I thought about on Tuesday is not the working title that helps me find that. Um, what so I do that helps me like, with this, that, because I have that problem too, and I do have a lot of works in progress, is that I separate my works in progress out by... um uh by fandom, but I also separate them out by uh, trope or genre, whatever you want to call it. So I have a folder of Harry Potter fics um, that are time travel, um, and then I have a folder of Harry Potter fics that are post-war AUs. You know, that way it would be easier to look through, say, 10 stories about time travel than it would be to look through uh, 129 works in progress. Yeah, I have. I, I never considered sub doing it by genre. That's a good idea because um, I just sort it by fandom. Mm-hmm. And so, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't even use to do that. It used to be flat. Um, it's either a work in progress I, It's really or a helpful finish. for me to do that. Especially with a fandom where yeah. I yeah. have a lot of work. I don't do it in every fandom because I don't have a lot of works in progress that are in, say, Teen Wolf. I have one, so I have a Teen Wolf folder with some pictures in it and one document. You know what I mean? But I have a fuck ton of Harry Potter works in progress. Probably once I get more than 10 works in progress in any kind of fandom, I probably need to start parsing them out. Because I'm up to more than 10 in Teen Wolf. So, um, you know, I'm at the point where I have to go through almost all of them if I want to find something. So... um, Thing in life, more and more and more is about balance. You know, and um, we say that a lot. It sounds trite and cliche, but it's like figuring out how to how to balance. What does balance mean in any given situation? Because um, sometimes you do need to finish something, right? But forcing yourself to finish every single thing before you move on to the next thing—that's um, not very balanced, to me, at least, not in my process. If If you're the right kind of writer who can start a project and finish a project and that's always the way you work and you never get blocked, good on you. That is not me. It doesn't work for me. And considering how many writers I know who get blocked trying to finish a project, I would say it's not even the majority. Most writers don't do that. They don't just work on a project, finish it, and never have a problem. Most people struggle. They they hit a roadblock at some point um and the question i don't have a single writer friend who doesn't have at least 10 works in progress (laughs) in real life in meat space yeah i mean that's just i just think that's just the reality of it is um yeah i haven't counted my whips my guess is that it's about half what yours is um so I just find it very I, – I find that to be – like when we talk about encouraging and fostering your creativity, um, forcing yourself to to finish something is fostering something else, okay? It's not necessarily fostering creativity. It's fostering a skill that maybe you do need when you sit down, you buckle down, you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to finish this work. I'm going to get it done. Even if you never show it to anybody, just finishing your rough draft, okay? That is a skill that – I think writers need to figure out, but it's a different skill than a creative skill. Um, It's not fostering creativity to to plug through and get something finished. Not necessarily. It might be, but not necessarily. But when you're talking about fostering your creativity and and keeping that creativity alive in you on a day-to-day basis, making yourself do something that you're struggling with or that you don't feel clear about or that's making you miserable – or that your precious writing time that you carve out for yourself outside of all your other responsibilities is spent staring at the screen and being frustrated. That is not fostering your creativity. That is frustrating your creativity. So one thing, um, if you are one of those people who feels like, you know, um, how I deal with a block, um, is, uh, is uh, I first look at my other works in progress and see if there's anything there that's spurning me to write there instead. And if I can't, I I, I go into the fandom that I was uh, writing in and I do some reading because I find my um, my other writers. I don't mean their ideas. I mean just literally the writer themselves, not their uh, their content. Um, I... uh, I really enjoy seeing somebody else's creativity. It, it's just it's just a thing about me. I really enjoy um, being with other writers in you know in physical spaces because um, just just watching that that's, it, it's it's very energetic. Um, and when you when you're in fandom, the closest you can get really is to head over to an archive and and just see who's you know who's posting and and who's active and it, it can be you know okay okay, look at you girl, that's a hundred k. I need I need to go right. <laughs> Which is why I have to say um, that looking back on it, the most fun I ever had in a rough trade challenge is when um, this this hussy um, come busting into my challenge and laid down 180k, and I was like, who 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 is this creature? Who 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 is this? Um, it was Jillie, by the way, if you guys didn't know, um, and because she really. Her her amount of creativity really spurned my own. And I wasn't even reading her story. I didn't have time to read her story until after the challenge was over. Um, but I was seeing her post and I looking at her, her workout and I'm like, what? <laughs> and it really, really ramped me up. And that's what I mean by finding other writers um very, um very inspiring is uh their um just watching them move in a writer's face like Rough Challenge is, is is very inspiring to me all the posts coming in and (laughs) yeah there have been days when i have been like oh i don't know if i can get any writing done today and i'll see somebody and the funny thing is i'll see there are people some people in rough trade challenges um that i know on facebook and like you know Rough trades, and you know nobody no one owes anybody an ex- explanations period. Uh, but definitely rough trade is also an excuses challenge. So you you know, it doesn't matter what is in the way of you not writing, you don't need to explain or excuse that's not the deal you write when you write. So but there are people that I see posting that i I know them from Facebook, and I know some of the stuff that's going on in their life, and I'm like, holy crap, uh, with everything they've got going on, they carved out time to do this and i it to me sometimes that is inspiring is that yeah. that someone is so someone is so committed at a, at a really difficult time in their life to to nurturing their own creativity um and that can i sometimes that just gets me going and i'm like okay i can deal with whatever i'm dealing with i can deal with the lack of privacy or whatever and i can i can go and get something written um, sometimes you know it's going and talking to talk my bitches. You know it's like okay, I I need to write something and I just everything, everything is terrible. I hate the world and I don't want to kill my darling. So, um, you know, and not not everything. This is the case of again, not everything is showable. There are times when I sit down to write something and it's like it comes off so. Sometimes that like some of it comes off really too dark. To, I don't, I don't yeah. share my really no, I dark, I don't share my really dark rating. That just doesn't happen. Mountain fall, um, the whole world dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes I go to write a response to a prompt or something, and it's supposed to be short, and it gets too long. And I don't consider it a failure. It's a failure in terms of responding to that prompt, but it might be something I can use later. But it got me to write something, you know. So, I, I mean i ha one of the things when i when i'm when i sometimes when I become like a, a bounce buddy with somebody, it's like one of the things I try to get them out of or an alpha reader or whatever I get them out of thinking is try to get them to stop thinking that writing is a waste um, There's no wasted writing you know no. um don't, it's one it's, it's one thing to, drink, to write delete a paragraph that didn't go the way you expected, but don't delete a story that didn't go the way you expected. just open up a new file and move on. You know, you've learned a way you didn't want to tell that story. But in two years, you might go back to it and go, oh, I like that. Um, Hmm. No. Okay, I got something to say about that, but I'll come back to it. Um, So... There is you know you just you, there's no there's nothing wasted there is not a word wasted that you 've ever written because even if you had to backspace and delete it because it wasn 't the right word for what you wanted to convey you you figure out a way not to say it there's just there's no no time that you are spent writing that is a waste, and like that quote uh, is you know you can edit you can edit a bad page you can 't edit a blank page. Um, motivation versus inspiration. we me mentioned that in the chat. The battle: action precedes motivation. Okay, that is just a truism. Is you, you, the more you do, the more you're motivated to do. Um, and inspiration actually often is not doesn't doesn't get people motivated because I so there have been times when I've been extremely inspired but it doesn't get me up at the keyboard and doing the labor. Um, Sitting down at the keyboard, sitting down at your computer, getting out your, your piece of paper, there's no magic. It is an act of will. You decide to do it. There's no motivational magic. There's no inspirational magic. There is nothing. It is an act of your will. There is no muse prodding you with a pitchfork. It is just you and your decision that you are going to do something with your creativity in that moment. It doesn't matter what your creative pursuit is, it is always an act of will. It's you you at the steering wheel deciding to pick up your knitting needles or get out your cross-stitch project or open up a new document. That is your choice. And you have to make that choice. And there's no motivational magic or inspirational magic that anybody can give, no magic wand that will get you there. And there's definitely no muse. We've talked about how we feel about muse. <clears throat> <laughs> if I have a muse, it is BS. It is the bitch squad. That There you go. That's my muse. And they don't prod me, you know, it's only But a sometimes if she's because... in a bad mood, I'll throw thick at her. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Here, read this shit. It's terrible, I think, but read it what you think. <laughs> read this terrible story I wrote ten years ago that I don't know what to do with. It is true. Somebody says the bunny will not leave you alone. It is true. There are ideas that do not leave you alone. And if they're not leaving you alone, write it down. Because when you start getting it out, it will leave you alone. That's why I have an idea a idea sh- notebook that I keep with me. It's just to get those ideas yeah. out of my head that I'm not ready to write yet, but I don't want to forget because then I'll get mad. But if something's not leaving you alone, it's because the creative side of yourself really wants you to do something with that. So write. If you aren't actually ready to write the story, do what Kira said. Put write it down. Get a cheer. You know, like Azure says, get a cheering squad. Get somebody to cheer you on. You know, whatever, whatever it is that helps you Get going. Do the thing. If you need a specific environment, if you need tea and crumpets and you need the you know, um I don't know, Beethoven fifth playing in the background to write, then do that. Do whatever I love it is that you've got to do
0: it makes history. me very
1: um calms me down it it calms my brain down it's it's very soothing uh and um process is your process whatever your process is and um some people can write corn in a Denny's. i i can't personally but if that's your process Lady holder. Yeah, I can't write um. anything in a Denny's. I tried once, but I can write porn that, in a cafe as long as some lady isn't sitting next to me in my business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you you If this is the case, if you do you, but don't undo you. And I think that's what that that's the thing about fostering creativity is, don't, um, don't get in your own way. I mean that that is that is a trite saying that is very true. Is you got to get out of your way. There's nobody who throws as many roadblocks in a writer's way as the writer themselves. But also, With, let's talk about challenge environments like rough trade or you know big bangs or just whatever whatever they may be. Um, don't force yourself into somebody else's box. No. Because you think it's popular, or you want to be a part of something, rough trade is a very, very cool challenge environment. It's not for everybody, and I acknowledge that. I it can be very nerve wracking if if you have issues with anxiety, it might exasperate those um, your anxieties. And, and acknowledging that in yourself is not a failure. Uh, managing your um, your anxiety or um, whatever issues you may have in regarding to posting in public or rough draft or whatever it may be, managing that in a healthy way is just about you taking care of you, and that is fine. But don't force yourself to do something like rough trade or a big bang or um, or any other kind of um, writing challenge that you might come across because you think you should. I like I I like the to me rough trade and bangs are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Rough trade is a mm-hmm. creative, dynamic, a, an environment about the conception of the story. Um, it's not about finishing it. I mean, if you finish it, that's great. But I mean, we don't have a cycle for editing and art and all that kind of stuff because that's not it, it's rough draft. Um, so it's someone about suggested conceiving. that once and I giggled a lot. That's not what it's about. Yeah. I was like, I don't think you understand what's going on at Rough Trade. I'm coming no. into Rough Trade new. Um, as, either as a reader, as a writer, f- can can find um, the environment intimidating or or weird. I had to explain to somebody on Facebook the other day what Rough Trade was. Um, I stumbled across a, a a Harmony. That's a Harry Hermione um, uh, fan group, in I joined them because someone had posted something about me in it in reference to something that was a plagiarism question and uh, they th- they thought somebody had plagiarized me. The, the the person didn't um they were just heavily inspired by me and that's fine. Um <laughs> Whatever gets you through your story, man. Um, and I had to respond to the comments saying, no, they're not plagiarizing me. Please don't put comments on this person's story. That, that's not what they're doing. Yes, they did take elements from my story, but it's not the same thing as plagiarism. Um, and uh, I got fangirled over a lot. I wasn't anticipating that. I uh, I don't think they actually expected me to be in the group. And so when I joined, I, I got approved immediately which was nice. Um, and I responded. It, it was like several of them kind of lost their minds. <laughs> <That's> very weird. <laughs> a little embarrassing. Uh, but, uh, so, um, like the first time I ever appeared in my own chat room. And, like, this lady goes, oh, my God, I can't believe you're actually in here. Well, it's my shit. <laughs> of course I'm going to be in it. <laughs> it belongs to me. Anyway, it was weird. The group does not belong to me on Facebook, obviously. But, um, it was just, it was really um, weird. Um, but I had to, um, they had posted, there was another post a couple of days later, and it was about my Rough Trade project that I'm doing for Harry and Hermione, which is Gravity. And um, the one one person posted it and said she can't figure out how to read the story, and it was making her really upset. I'm like, there's nothing to read yet. That's not how Rough Trade works. So I had to explain how Rough Trade works. And they were all, she was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so... When you encounter someone that doesn't understand how rough trade works, and you have to explain it, um, you know, just be gentle with them. They don't know. They're not trying to be demanding. Often, they're not trying to be demanding or aggressive. They just don't know how it works. So yeah. that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah, but it's a very different thing to be working on a challenge that is about the the conception of effect because you really, other than creating your art and doing your project file, which can be very vague. Um, and your art could be nothing but a picture of your main character or just a black screen with the title of your story on it, a black image. You know, what I mean, so th- you could be going into the challenge with almost nothing, um, with doing very little work. Um, and it, it's it's the beginning. Um, whereas, and so your only firm date, the only thing that is firm is that start date, you know, April 1st, July 1st, November 1st. That's it, that's your start part. With a bang, the firm date, the first firm date really is usually the date that your rough draft is due. So it's, it's, it's a story, it's a challenge about completing something and taking it through the editing. And most of them I've ever been involved with require that you have a beta. So there is a, a, expected to be an editing cycle. Um, and then at the end of it, you get somebody who's supposed to read your story or at least read a synopsis of your story and produce art that is, you know, specific to what you wrote. So it's a whole cycle about finishing something. And I find that there's a lot of contrast. It's very different, and I like participating in both. Um, But, you know, the thing is, is that people can, you can get into stuff like that. You can get into any kind of challenge, and there's an element of it that is, uncomfortable to you or is stifling to you. And if it doesn't work for you, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it because somebody tells you it's a good idea. I could tell every writer that I meet that I think is a good idea, but if it makes them nothing but anxious to be posting a work in progress, then it may not be a good environment for them. I posted on Facebook a little bit vague, but I not post- Torture yourself. <laughs> right, Please don't torture yourself <laughs> and, to be in my child. That I've done quite point. a few... I've done quite a few bangs and stuff. And I posted on Facebook about pulling out of a bang and I won't ever participate in it again. Um, and I'm not dissing the, 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 the bang or anybody in that when I say this, but there was kind of an unwritten rule. And the reason for the unwritten rule, um, and it may become a written rule now, I don't know, um, was because that doing a doing this thing that I wanted to do. Um, and I'm not even the one who asked, um, But it never occurred to me it would be a problem. If I had known it would have been a problem, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, that it would alienate readers if we did the thing. I find Mm. the idea of there being rules or consideration around reader alienation so stifling that even though I had two projects lined up for that, that challenge, I pulled out because that instantly. It it like shuts me down creatively. The idea that I'm participating in something, I don't mind rules to a challenge. I mind there being rules about alienating readers. Um, Or rules added midway through the challenge. Yeah, that, well, yeah, there's not a written rule. If there's not a rule about it, I should be able to do it. And to find out that there's a a, a sudden no, don't do this, um, that's not okay especially over something really to me that was fundamentally, it it, to me I found it fundamentally dumb that there would even be a consideration about those, which is why it never occurred to me to ask. Um, So, you know, you know, just, but to me, I I had a a moment, I had about 24 hours and I thought maybe I was overreacting. I took about, I took like, oh, maybe about 12 hours to think about it. Um, but I was like, I was so really just like, I'm like, well, I have this other story in progress. It doesn't really matter from a getting it done thing, but the thing is, it really was bothering me—the idea that that the really this perfectly good story idea that I had already had in process wouldn't be eligible for this challenge because um, it might alienate readers. It so bothered me. I just couldn't get past it. I just couldn't get past it. So, um, if if it had been anything related to, I don't know, some other reason that was legitimate to me, and I mean, the person who made the rule may feel like that was a legitimate rule, but it it wasn't. I just don't find you know, it was a rule about changing a character's name, and I don't find that to be a, a. I just I just find it bizarre. So, yeah. Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I was so instantly just like creatively put off. I was, I was really so put off by it. But I was like, why would I want to submit anything into that environment? Where, you know, I just, I wouldn't, if they had, if they, if I had seen any rules that pertain to reader alienation, I never would have participated to begin with. Well, I used, I got a lot that. of grief. About rough trade at the very beginning, because of my stance on it being a writer's environment and not a reader's environment, it how was like you? i had how really and, and there are people who felt that way, and there are people who still feel that way to this day um, I never seen a comment on insane journal as a matter of fact on um somebody had posted about being in rough trade and how um she had a difficult experience because of a reader who contacted her outside of the um outside of the community through her email, and she withdrew from the challenge. And one of her um, commenters had said, along the lines of, I had always had problems with the way Kira ran Rough Trade until this, and now I realize why she does it. I'm like, I'm glad you had to have a personal experience with your reading enjoyment being um, disrupted by an asshole before you acknowledge that writers have a right to be in a challenge environment without being abused. Thank you. I didn't say it. <laughs> except for just now. But um I <laughs> You're wanted thinking to thinking it, yeah. I'm thinking it. But you know, it's like um creating Rough Trade, um as the entity that it currently is today did not it isn't it, it didn't happen overnight. Um but as the um as the challenge expanded and grew, we had to make uh I had to make decisions about how um how I would allow readers to, to, to interact with um the writers on the challenge. And a lot of times I don't think readers really understand how um distracting they could potentially be in the comment section. Whether it be nitpicking or asking questions. If a writer is spending a half hour responding to questions on her project file, how the hell is she going to write? She's working all day. I'm using a she just because she, but it could be a he. She's working all day. She comes home. She's feeding her family or whatever. She's feeding her husband or dogs or babies or fur babies, whatever she's got. She's handling all that stuff. She sits down to write two hours. She spends 35, 40 minutes responding to comments because people ask questions she's got an hour left to write tonight before she has to go to bed and go to work the next. So when you're structuring a challenge, um, like originally it was just for Naked Nano and you know, your writers um, are going to have to write 1700 words a day um, to meet their goal. Um, You don't want those 1700 words they're writing a day being responses to comments or defending their work or, or whatever. And so that's where that originally started. And then I started to realize that, um, creating the challenge the way I did with, um, with the rough draft and um, it was opening up these writers to a very vulnerable circumstance so I had to take a harder road as far as comments were concerned and abusive personalities um, and a lot of readers um, depend on their comments for their participation in the fandom and, we, and we've discussed that before uh, and they did not like the strict, um, the restrictions and the first time I went hardcore on the rules for comments, I deleted over a hundred comments and banned four people from commenting ever again. And I'm sure they deserved it. Well one in particular, um, I wrote them an email and told them they need to stop nitpicking because this was a rough draft challenge and of course nothing on the side is perfect and they're being unreasonable. And she wrote back and told me I was a bitch for um, censoring her. And (laughs) I told her to go fuck herself, and then I banned her. (laughs) I deleted her account on Rough Trade. I banned her through her IP address. Um, And for a while there, whenever she went to the domain, she got directed to a YouTube video um, that was pretty rude. But eventually I took that program down. So she might she can read on Rough Trade now, but she can't comment. She'll never be allowed to comment again. And every once in a while I look for variations of her email address and if I find her in the membership I delete her. Yet another person who doesn't understand what freedom of speech actually is. Right. But I hope she's understanding the consequences of her actions at this point. But, yeah, I mean, there was, there was, you know, and honestly, I do think that my militant stance on um, feedback on Rough Trade is, um, it does make Rough Trade a very, very um, safe environment, and it does foster creativity because the participants know that I, I'm going to be a hard ass on the comment front, and they're not going to have to worry about clicking on their story and looking at the feedback and seeing some asshole being abusive to them. Create, um, and when you have that kind of safety net, like Rough Trade provides, it can it can make it a lot easier to write and to post and to, to participate. At least it does for me. Of course, I've been deleting comments wholesale for 10 years, so. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree. I know some people, I know I've had some people express me that they would rather have, rather see the critical comments or the questions or whatever, but, you know, there's, I would say that possibly to probably the minority um, and that we can't like, and also you never know, you never know which question is going to throw you. You never know um, which, which, which comment is going to be the one that is too much. Um, I had that experience, you know, yeah, of where you know, just just on one set, one thing that people weren't getting, um, what I was doing, and I was really thrown by it. We deleted a bunch of comments, um, on my story that year, and um, but I was really just kind of, I was really just kind of thrown, um, really off my stride for a little bit, two or three days, over a couple of comments that just really caught me off guard. So, um. You never know when it's going to be – usually it's not an issue. I'm pretty inured to um, most things, Uh, but you never know what's going to be the one. You never know. And so because we can't, you know, handle preferences for 70 or 80 different participants, everybody gets the safest environment we can provide. And that's just the way it is. And if that's an issue, then rough trade might not be. If you're a person who really needs critical feedback, like you actually want criticism during the rough draft process, rough trade is not a good environment for you. No, it's not. It's not what you need. If you want your readers to be able to ask questions and to provide you critical feedback, then rough trade is not for you. And And neither is wild hair. And help direct your plot it's just we're not that we're um we're not a good fit for you and that's fine it's it's not a, a judgment um on either side of the fence we're just not a good fit for you and that is perfectly okay there are plenty of other places online um you can make your own website if you want you know that you can be um you can participate in the fandom uh but um there will never come a day where i will change the uh the rules for rough trade for a single person Because if I structured rough trade on what I could handle, it wouldn't be the safe fostering and um, the safe environment that I currently have. Because I don't care what anybody says about my writing. Delete, delete, delete. I don't give a shit. But some of our participants take that shit really to heart. So I have to watch their heart, not my own. And when I don't know, but I I, I think this is true for Kira, too. Um but when I say, like, I don't give a shit, as we'll say, it doesn't mean it doesn't throw me off. It means it's not right. going to stop me writing. It's not going to change my direction. It's not going to stop me writing. People, there are people who will. I mean, I, there are times that somebody says something that pisses me off and I can't write for two or three days. I have been so mad at a comment that I, it will throw me out of writing and I will be angry Tetrising for like two or three days. I mean, you don't want to see me on a Royal <laughs> Story binge for like three days because I'm pissed off. And that has happened. So yes, it can throw me for a few days, but it's not going to change my direction. It's not going to stop me writing. There are people who will stop writing over a comment that hits in the wrong space. And that's that's completely different. People need to be feel like they're safe from things. Their creativity is like it's, it's, it's more fragile in a way, um, and it needs more nurturing while they're trying to grow it, um, and it, it, needs, it needs to be nurtured in a, in a very gentle Thank way, you. and they can't take darts and arrows at it. You know, it, it, it their, their creative process, their word baby, it hasn't developed shields yet. So I can get mad if somebody lobs an arrow at me, but I'm gonna keep writing. Some people are gonna get an arrow shot at them and they're gonna stop. And that's what we're that's what we're trying to protect. Make me absolutely furious. I have never had a comment make me change something in my story. Except for those assholes who used to guess my plot. That's a different. That's a different breed. They're not trying to be mean. I've never had a troll impact me that way. Um, but sometimes you get some little smart ass who guesses your plot, and it's like, oh, damn it! Now I have to change my whole plot. <laughs> I did get some emails about Darkly Lowell. Did it make me change anything about what I did know? I got a really angry email about Emergence, about somebody who liked it, oddly enough, but they were very angry. Um, They were very angry because they felt like in their reading that I had created a reasonable, almost perfect environment for male pregnancy and that I was a cop-out. And they actually said I was a cop-out and a a tip that I was a coward and a cop-out. And I was like, Wow, that's a lot of hostility um, for a story you really liked. <laughs> so, right? I Did I run right out and put male pregnancy in the story? No. <laughs> because I don't change my story because people are hostile. Let's just carry crazy cakes. would be ass babies and actually the funny thing is I had a conversation with Kira after I got that comment where I said the funny thing is male pregnancy actually is possible in that universe if the Omega stays in their dragon form for the duration of the pregnancy it would be possible they have to mate in dragon form and stay in the dragon form because they are intersex in that form so would it be possible yes am I ever going to write it no is it in my world building yes it would not be an ass baby though azure don't let me huff at you yeah because a, a dragon would have an oviduct like a, a, like any other reptile so it would lay eggs right. but what would would hatch has, in the egg it hasn't occurred to any of them to mate in their dragon forms so this has never come up but it's possible it's possible Okay, that's in my world building, folks. If you need to, if somebody wants to go out and well, write that, like, I don't care. <laughs> it, well, the problem becomes is even if they did mate in dragon form, they wouldn't automatically assume that they were pregnant, so they would change back. Right, long before there'd be any issue. Evidence of a baby. So, right, there'd be, there would barely be, um, sperm would barely have met egg, okay? It wouldn't come up. So it hasn't come up in, in in their world. They don't even know that that's possible. But it's in my world building that the omegas can get pregnant in their dragon form. So well, I, there I have, you have it. Can I ask a question? You may. Okay, if they stick in their omega form and they and they ha- and they and they lay an egg, um, and the egg hatches, what comes out of the egg? A, a human baby or a dragon? It wouldn't be an egg. It would be live birth, okay, 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 and it they would they would birth either a drake or a wyvern that would immediately be able to shift back into human form okay okay now i one time, we my sister used to have tangentially uh, to this my sister used to have bearded dragons, and um one morning I walked in to feed them. And their tails were doing this very weird thing, and um, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, "What is that?" And I go out to my sister and I said, "What's it? they're like making a McDonald's M with their tails? What's going on?" She like "They're having sex. Leave them alone." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I know what dragon so sure sex would look like. <laughs> you violated their privacy. I thought we did. I had no idea what was going on. It was dragon sex happening. Um, yeah. yeah, that's like etched into my brain forever. What was going on down there? Um, yeah, lizard porn. Uh, and these are big bearded dragons too. They were like a pound a piece. So um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> like the baby from Baby from Incredibles. <laughs> Yeah, probably. And there's never been one. That's never happened. But yes, you know, so it's something that has not ever come up in the story. It's not something I plan to have come up. But I was like, well, and the thing is, this is a case of, uh, and this is a case of, you know, when I was plotting out there, the world building is the original wyverns were all, were all intersex. So I was like, well, based upon that piece of information, what is the logical conclusion about how they bred, right? And so I was you know, like doing logical, the logical repercussions of what they were and all of their their biology. And this is how I came to the conclusion about this whole thing. is like if they were in dragon form, you know, if they were in that form that was intersex, you know, they could um, get pregnant. And um, anyway, but it had never come up. Um, and it wouldn't ever come up. And then somebody sends me this really angry email about how much they love the story. And um, what a co- what a coward I am, um, and what a cop out it was that I didn't didn't write and bragging the story, um, and I was just sort of befuddled by that whole thing. But it did that actually didn't make me angry. I actually thought that was funny, because <laughs> that somebody was that angry over something that they liked was just kind of you didn't hit and my see I'm and a spiteful bitch who would have immediately um, wrote a series of shorts about how all the modern um, omegas were infertile. <laughs> That's that me. I'm, the spiteful it. I'm just saying. But I, you know, so... I can I can handle negative comments. I delete them. I don't even think about them anymore. There was a time when I'm like, "Oh, you motherfucker!" and I would get all bent up and write about it on Live Journal. But now I'm at the point in my um in in my evolution as a writer because we all continue to evolve. Um. That. Uh, the delete button is just works just as well as a reply button. 'Cause and now there was a comment on my site a couple of months ago that I um I found infuriating so I responded to um there because what whatever. Uh and um but on the whole I don't actually grit uh what people like to call concrete comments anymore because they know it ain't gonna do them any good and it's a waste of their time so I'm gonna delete it anyway. I don't get trolls um, because my comments on my site are members only and my membership is closed and no one who is currently on my site wants to lose their membership. So they're not being an asshole about it. And for the record, if you're an asshole on rough trade, when I saw you off rough trade, I'm going to go back over to my site and saw you off my site too. Recently, I saw somebody who, um, uh, was being an asshole. Fanfiction.net and I thought I recognized their username. I went over and I found them in my membership. I deleted the membership. Because <laughs> I'm not gonna be around abusive assholes. They haven't noticed yet. They will. Next time I post a Harry Hermione Fix. And they can't comment. Just say it. I don't I don't get a lot of concrete anymore. I mostly get disappointed. Well, there's there's two classes of people who send me messages from the mostly. Well, there was that one dude who just commented "adequate." Period. <laughs> okay, I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, I don't know what that is. It was, it was it was sort of very assholeish, but it was just <laughs> adequate. <laughs> like, all right. Um, I there's you the people respond who respond and tell him that his feedback was not adequate. <laughs> I commented on it. Actually, that comment was your. I think I said your your feedback colon mediocre or something like that. Um, <laughs> I think that's all I said. But it's, most of the time, I delete negative comments. But every once in a while, there's some that just are like, "Well, that needs to go through." Just like so can reply to it. Um, but most of uh, a lot of people contact me through most people who contact me through my site are not contacting contacting me about my stories. They're actually usually contacting me about something I've said sometimes on Facebook, sometimes on the podcast or whatever to yell at me, whatever, or correct me or send me a recommendation of a story period that I said I didn't like or whatever. Most of the contact, I'd say 80% of the stuff that comes through my site contact form is responding to stuff I've said on the podcast or on Facebook or whatever. Um, but most of the comments on my actual story, of the stuff that is arguably negative, most of it is expressing disappointment. I'm, just, I'm disappointed that you didn't do this, or um, you, you, it, it, it's disconcerting that you went there, that you didn't go there. It, it's like this kind of passive-aggressive, I'm not happy with this, and I feel like that you must want to know. Whatever. I don't. I could care less. Or couldn't care less. Actually, I could care less, maybe. I'm not sure. I have to think about it. Um, <laughs> we'll, but we'll build a talking, scale and let you know. <laughs> yes, people do. Well, Karen and I talk about pairings we don't like or tropes we don't like or whatever. Inevitably, somebody sends me a recommendation within that pairing fandom. Whatever it is I said I don't like, this is the good example of it. Um, I don't know why. Um Maybe it's because they're feeling, I think, well, maybe it's because they're feeling judged. Like they're feeling like when I say that, like I'm judging them for their thing, and they're trying to get me on board with their thing so that they'll feel, I don't know, less judged. I don't know. I don't actually understand why they would want me to get down into that thing that I don't appreciate. Because most of the time, now when it comes to underage, yeah, I am judging the fuck out of that. But. Most of the time, it's just not my thing. Like if I say I don't like amnesia stories, I'm not judging you for liking them or writing them or whatever. I just—it's just not a trope I enjoy. And uh, the last I thing don't I like, hair I'm you. Am- I can't stand right. those. Um, but I don't. Last thing I want when I say I don't like amnesia stories is twenty amnesia wrecks in my in my inbox. It's disconcerting. Delete. 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 Um, I have one person who loves to send me reps of an author that I don't like reading because I find her level of exposition to be unreadable. The thing I want to say is I can't read this author. There's nothing wrong with her stories. Conceptually, I find her stories interesting, but I've never successfully gotten to the end of one of her stories because there's so much exposition that that a story lost. In the in into this meandering exposition that goes on, and so I just don't like reading her, her work, even though I know that people really dig it. Um, so just say the next time wreck. you get the rec from this particular author, just say I'm I'm really not into her style. Do you have anything else about anybody else you'd like to rec instead? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I should say that because it's always this one author, and I'm like, oh please stop. Um, but. But mostly the, the, the feedback is, is expression of disappointment. I'm disappointed. Um, well, the first I think the first disappointed comment I got was on the first story I actually posted on my site. The first completed story I posted on my site was Restoration, which was the Harry Potter story with Lucius and Severus. And it was a disappointment that I that, – because they had apparently read Emergence first. And I th- think I was even into writing – well into writing The Journey Home before I had posted Restoration. And – um, this person read this and they said they were disappointed in me for um, going there. Basically, um, even though the empreg preg is implied, it's not on screen. That um, they were disappointed in me. Oh wait, so you get disappointment and, emails when you skip the mail preg and then when you imply the mail preg? You should just go out straight out to have a mail preg. Just just get it over with. I, yeah, I, I do. I just need to get all of. You can knock out. somebody out. So it was, just, it was just so. I got the disappointment emails over. I get disappointment over pairings. I get the disappointment. I was disappointed when I saw the pairing, but you know, you actually pulled it off fairly really well. And it's like, what's the oh, point of no. telling me about your 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 thwarted disappointment? I know you think that's flattering, but it actually kind of isn't. Um, <laughs> and that's what it feels like. I thwarted their disappointment. <laughs> Even if I wrote and azure there would be no as babies i'm just saying not even in the crack world but the funny thing is when it comes to creativity i don't even find people's disappointment typically gets in the way of my creativity um, weird fandom expectations um, can, uh, a fandom is kind of an entity, because it kind of has its own, it kind of is like its own entity. It can, those expectations can really, um, that can fuck me up. Somebody early on, when I first started posting Emergence on AO3, I think, or maybe it was Journey Home. It was early on in my posting on AO3. Um, So one of the first few stories I did. Um, Somebody basically came on to my site and sent me a message my contact form about how rude I was for not replying to all of my feedback and <laughs> that, they don't read rude, that they don't read rude authors. And um, I don't know, the way they presented it was like, they had a really good, they had a really good spiel. And at the time, I don't know, I guess I was feeling a little bit not me-ish. I don't know, but I went, I mean, I I went online during my writing time, when I, time I had sat down at my computer dedicated to this whole thing about dealing with writing. And um, I, I was like, okay, well I'll try with replying to feedback. And I wasn't replying to all of them because, you know, but I was replying to feedback and like three hours later, I, I don't know. I guess part, part of that is my own OCD is like just saying thanks all the time. I felt disingenuous by just saying thanks all the time. <laughs> so I started feeling like I needed to like have some sort of genuine interaction and trying to think of some way to respond to comments different. I don't know. It was I cannot tell you how muddled my head was during that two to three hour period. And I I just I, I mean, that was my writing time for the day and it was shot and I didn't even get even a small way through the feedback. And I was like, I am not doing this. Sometimes I get a comment that I want to respond to, and I do. Um, I appreciate all of them. I will tell you, I don't always read comments every day. All my comments are filtered because if I'm trying to get something done, I I actually will not go look at my comments folder. So um, I don't always read the comments as they're coming in. Um, Because sometimes, you know, if I get pissed off, and I really, I know myself, if I get pissed off, I will not write. Period in time when I was getting a lot of comments were pissing me off. I was filtering for the sake of my own writing. I was filtering. And that was part of nurturing my own creativity. I was filtering my comments into a folder and dealing with them when I was in the right frame of mind to do it. So I read them all, um, but I read them when I'm ready to read them, and I respond to the ones I feel inspired to respond to, although I appreciate all the positive feedback, Um I have never responded to all of my feedback. I didn't even know that was a thing when I was on fanfiction.net. And then by the time I had my own site, um, no one has ever called me on it. I've had several people call me on it. I've even seen passive aggressive comments on Facebook about how, you know, I take, and I actually got in an argument somebody about this because they said, I take the time to, um, comment on your story and you can't even take the time to say thank you. And I said, you realize that those things aren't equivalent, right? You commenting on my story is not equal to me writing it. There's there's no, there's no right? equivalency going. There's no equivalency going. Okay, well, I don't so, care if my story is a thousand words or 20,000 words. There's no, there's no equivalency to you saying thank you. And I liked it to me writing the story. You have not made us equal. So, um, and, but yes, yeah, so I see these passive-aggressive comments about, and I'm not going to read rude writers. And I've gotten chewed out about it. And I just there seems to be some group. Is this the NCIS
0: thing?
1: No, is... no, 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 no. This actually is this the the this the person I got into it with um, wasn't actually a reader of mine. I don't think. Um, I think their primary fandom of Teen Wolf, and um, I wasn't even I was wasn't even reading Teen Wolf at that time. Um, and they just made this comment about you know if people were talking about feedback on on uh, you know you know commenting you know should you expect somebody actually asked a question should you expect an author to reply to your feedback and um, somebody's reply to that was that you know that they find it very rude if they leave a comment for an author and the author doesn't reply um, and, and they just they they can't tolerate you know. They've taken the time they've so they've taken the time out to comment on their story, and it's really rude and I just thought, you you know those things aren't equal, right? them writing the story and you you saying you enjoyed it. There's no equivalency between those things. I mean, you're still in debt on that <laughs> so, right it was just it was just me kind of getting into it, it something was, was pissing me off, but I've had multiple people tell you been three it, months writing editing baiting your comment and then post it on my site and then I will say thank you there we go but until you've got that kind of investment and you've written me a book to let me know how much you liked my book don't expect me to say thank you for your comment I appreciate your comment but I'm not going to waste my time responding to comments I'd rather be writing especially if all I have to say is thank you. I do. It, it, I, I'm, I'm appreciative. I mean, honestly, the only, the only, the only compensation a fan fiction writer can possibly get is their readers telling them they enjoyed that story. That's it. Feedback is it. That's the only thing. So I, you know, I really appreciate it. And there are times when it's really boosted my morale. Um, you know, I, 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 And sometimes I just feel like I want to – sometimes it makes me laugh or whatever, and I just want to respond to a comment, and I do. Um, But in general, sometimes I don't even see a comment until, like, two weeks after it's left. So whatever. Um, But I had to get over that, you know, because when I first was getting back into – you know, when I first did fan fiction, like, way back when, my first go-around 20 years ago – people had to send me an email. They had to actually write, sit down and and write an email to me. There was no instant anything. Okay. Everything was, nothing was as dynamic as it is now. And so if I got seven comments, that was astonishing. And I did respond to all of them because most people don't write you an email and not say anything. You know, they're saying usually something very substantive. So, they have something if somebody's gonna to go to that effort to actually write an actual email, it's usually because they have something they really want to say, um about how it affected them. And I've gotten emails that were like three pages printed when somebody at the end of a story. So um Right. I did you know, but it wasn't it wasn't a lot, right? I would respond but actually sometimes responding to those really long tomes was quite a bit of work. But I was it was very appreciated, but it was a little bit different. If I get back into to there's no expectation, but that's just the way, as far as I know, there's no expectation, but that's just the way things happen. And then I get back into fan fiction again um, in 2013, and people are telling me that it is the accepted behavior. This is what you do. If somebody comments on your story, you're supposed to reply. Um, and I was like, okay. And so I was a little befuddled at first, but I'm like, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me, and I'm just not going to do it. So I had to kind of turn that voice off. Um, I've had to take writers aside on Rough Trade and tell them they don't have to do that. Um, When you're on Rough Trade, it's no excuses. You you don't owe your readers any sort of um, communication during the process. Um, You don't have to say thank you to their comments. You don't even actually have to read their comments. Readers are guests on Rough Trade, and they're not even honored ones. I'm just being for real. The writer is the VIP on Rough Trade. And I would kick off every single reader on Rough Trade. And I would not even feel remotely upset about it. Because it's not about them. Right. Now, and there are and some authors who want who want to say thank you to every comment and that's fine. I just think I don't feel like that if I'm saying just thank you to every single comment, I'm basically, it's I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem sincere, does it? No, if it's always the same exact response, it just doesn't feel like there's anything, any more investment in it than saying nothing. So I'm just going to, you know, and like I said, there are times when things get really backed up on my site. Um, I've had as much as Lady Holder mentioned, she can get backed up. There was one time I went and I got to clear out the comments I haven't approved. There were 200 of them that I hadn't approved because I hadn't looked at them in so long. Um, And I probably wound up with some good ones permanently deleted because my spam filter catches good comments sometimes. I don't know how it does that, but there are actual real comments in the spam. And... um, Um, they're that purged after 30 days. So, you know, if I go more than 30 days <laughs> and so this has happened where I go 30 days at least without reading comments. Um, and I know that sounds weird to some people, but this is part of the topic is that I know what can fuck up my creativity. I know what I need to do to nurture myself and nurture the creativity. And sometimes that means cutting off any voices about what I'm writing Including the positive ones, because you can't—you don't know what you're going to get, and sometimes the unknown is just—it's not the risk. If I'm like, I really want to get this done, and I really want to work on this, and sometimes I'm writing when I'm not in a good place emotionally, and I know myself, and I know that's the time I need to not let that outside voice in, and um, so that's what I do.
0: That's what I, I think it's a very healthy.
1: Um if I kicked all of the readers off of Rough Trade, they would still be able to read, they just wouldn't be able to comment. <laughs> is, is is what I that's what I was getting at. Uh and I wouldn't do it unless there was some kind of apocalypse in the comment section. And um I'm just saying that it's on the table because writers at Rough Trade. And um, it's just that's just the way it is. And not everybody is comfortable with that. And that's perfectly okay. You don't have to read anything on there. I have plenty of readers who read my stuff on a regular basis who do not read my work on Rough Trade because um, because. Uh, they don't like rough drafts or they don't want to read a work in progress and so they wait for it to hit my site and I have absolutely no problem with that none and I have some readers who think they'd like to read my grocery list I have a mild problem with that (laughs) I will say that I'm actually not interested in your grocery list because sometimes there's awesome things you come into your store that are not on my diet and I just don't want to hear about it <laughs> uh, comments are welcome on Rough Trade. You are welcome to comment on Rough Trade. You are not welcome to abuse writers. You're not welcome to ask questions. You're not welcome to nitpick or offer suggestions for somebody's plot. You absolutely can say, holy shit, I love that. That is welcome on Rough Trade. And I cannot tell you, sometimes that that exact comment right there, holy shit, I love that, Um, just that honest reaction is so gratifying. Um, It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be insightful. I know people think they have to be insightful with their feedback. No, just be genuine just even if you're just saying thank you i really you know that made my day or thank you i really love that or just thanks whatever that's it that's all it takes and some author out there you're going to make their day with oh my god i love that because it is it's genuine not, and it's, that is super important yes it doesn't have to be well crafted or insightful or thoughtful it just has to be it has to be supportive and the more genuine the better. I am low on meat and cheese. The milk is absolutely fine. I have two and a half gallons. My husband likes to drink a lot of milk. Um <laughs> We're down to a minute. Uh it's it's what it boils down to is that um you you have to protect the writer in you. And um if that means you don't read feedback, um if that means you don't allow feedback, that is perfectly reasonable. Um if you have to have a hundred works in progress to be comfortable, that's perfectly reasonable. If you get stuck on a project and you need to work on something else to get your juices flowing, that is perfectly reasonable and acceptable. Um we but we're out of time, so we gotta go. second <laughs> so night, Julie. Good night everyone.